0: Entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hi, my name's Sean Duddy. If you're expecting Lucinda, I'm sorry about that, but actually, we've decided to turn the tables on Lucinda this time. So I'm going to interview her. Uh, for me, I manage the uh, social media and work on the branding for HR Uprising with Lucinda. Um, as we well as
1: decided... A few social activities now and then. A few social each other activities
0: now and again, <laughs> a few wines. We launched the HR Uprising six months ago and it's very exciting to see how that's growing across all of our social media, LinkedIn group, Instagram, Twitter, um And the podcast actually is going to is projected to achieve ten thousand downloads. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's very, very exciting. It's still
1: in the it's in the business charts again this morning, which is quite amazing when you think how many new podcasts are being released all the way. It's brilliant. Mm
0: -hmm. It's really good, and all the feedback has been has been very positive. Actually, Um, when I was chatting to some of the guests, Lucinda and our PR and sort of social media network. They were t- sort of asking a bit more about you. And when I got together with our marketing team, we thought, well, actually, we should be turning the tables on you and we should be asking about you. So starting to squirm now. <laughs> don't panic. I will be gentle <laughs> edit it, edit it all out. Yeah, we will. Ed- we can edit out the dodgy bits.
1: I suppose it's worth saying because um, for the listeners who maybe didn't listen last week, in over December, we're doing our 12 HRs of Christmas. I'm calling it. We're not allowed to put Santa hats on you. You'll be relieved to know. <laughs> but we wanted to talk to real HR people, as you know, always know from the HR uprising. I, I wanted to hear from, you know, a real wide range of people who are doing HR. And so we're listening to. We've got 12 12 minute interviews coming over December. Some of which mm. have be pre recorded. And this is where the team said, "But Lucinda, you should do one of these." And actually you need to lead the way so hence
0: this episode is going to be my story. Absolutely right it's going to be slightly more than 12 minutes because you can't stop talking. Even even when I speak really quickly so apologies. So it'll be slightly more than 12 minutes but absolutely right. So where did it all begin Lucinda? I don't think I knew you then actually. Uh, No
1: so in terms of getting into HR or learning development I've always said that I'm very lucky because I've always been in the um, easy bit of HR because learning and development, people want to talk to you in HR. Sometimes people don't. You have to do really hard stuff. <laughs> Good point. Um, so I I actually started out in pharmaceuticals, started out in a sales job. My first day, it was a six-week training course, and I sat in the training course and looked at the trainer and thought, oh, man, training, that looks so much fun. That's what I want to do. And mm. I genuinely think training is a bit of a vocation. Yeah. Um, so within a couple of years, I went into sales training, went up through the business from sales training, then went into animal health and headed up the training over there, whereas more, um, more of an OD angle to it. Obviously, I did a psychology degree and I did my master's obviously. in psychology, obviously. The link <laughs> as to why um, I like to do the OD stuff. So mm. I've also got an OD qualification because I did my master's and I did chartered occupational psychology. I did my chartership mm. through my career um, at, at Pfizer and then at Siemens. So I did it on the job in terms of writing up my logbook you have to write up. 400 days' worth of, of content. So um, it was interesting to me. I was always more interested in, rather than the product training, into more of the people stuff. Mm. I think because, as you know, we've um, when I start analysing you on your Myers-Briggs profile at a party <laughs> or something like that, um, I've always been really interested in what, what makes people tick and what motivates people, and just people interest me hugely. Yeah. Um, after seven or eight years at uh, Pfizer, I then moved to Siemens Telecoms business, and uh, spent 10 years there, give or take a couple of kids and um, setting up my own business for a while. And uh, what the reason I set up my own business, when I went into um, uh, Siemens, they were just setting up a, they just got sort of technical training. They didn't really have any people development and it was my job to set it up. But what was interesting is I had to make it, a, there was an internal marketplace that I had to establish. So I had to write the courses, do the training, price it, and actually almost carry a budget. Yeah. And so that's where the interesting link in terms of commerciality mm. comes in. And i had been in sales before, I suppose. And that, of course, is one of the things that I don't know whether HR are particularly confident at. It's certainly one of the things that we're often criticised about being commercial. And that commercial acumen stayed with me through my role at Siemens. I ended up, when I left in 2009, in charge of 50 people, I had a, a team of um, technical training, e-learning, behavioral training. And through that journey, I'd always been involved in the just forming the whole OD strategy. Mm. It was quite an exciting time to be there because um, we'd been stripped out from the main parent company. So we were standalone, had an MD who was quite open, if you can make a good business case, to to supporting the initiatives we were doing. Putting things like performance management, competency frameworks, um, talent management, a whole range of, of OD activities and organisational change, I was able to lead
0: and get well, that experience. So you had the sponsorship in the organisation. That's, that's not always wasn't. the case, yeah.
1: Yeah, very interesting how you get sponsorship. And mm. i talked about separately about change. There's probably a whole episode on change. Mm. But it didn't make a huge um, difference. It wasn't always easy. You had to... I look back, it was quite tough because I was one of two senior females in an organisation of 2,000 people. Um, and I was... Uh, before I was 30 at that point and so you had to be quite credible and taken seriously. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, the boss I had at the time was very good at stepping back and getting out of the way, and he just let us get on with it, and the MD, as long as you could make a good commercial argument for something, he would give you a shot, mm. but you had to have thought things through, you had to know the detail and the big picture, and you had to be able to influence people to stand up and be counted mm. um, and, and challenge people. So all of those skills, I so say, I've plug my book that i am just finished writing and editing at the moment is about how to be a change superhero We're coming out you in May it. yeah mm. it's basically that's what it is mm. a lot of it's common sense but actually uh, there's a whole level of skills in terms of feeling confident and trying to push yourself mm. and on top of that I didn't always feel confident a lot of the time I felt I, I, I shouldn't be there I remember someone saying to me Lucinda let's ask the training expert and I was like Oh, yikes! expert. That's a bit of a pressure. Mm. So yes, I think a lot of us struggle with sort of imposter syndrome. And uh, that was one of the things that I had to challenge myself to overcome.
0: Did you, you were under 30 as a female working in in this organisation and you had to take a strong lead and be influential. Was that one of the major challenges, do you think? I'd never really thought
1: about the fact that I was a female being on the bit—it actually almost struck me, surprising, when the MD pointed it out to me. Mm. So obviously it was. Mm. Um, so that was a challenge, I think, I, and to such an extent, it was a culture. It's quite a male culture in the you know nineties, wasn't it? Nineties, two thousands. But everyone wore suits. You know, you had to kind yeah. of get. So I kind of wore the uniform and and conformed in that way. Um, yeah, well, I was thinking that was. It was just more about balancing family life and um, and work life and getting on with people. What was uh, a luxury that I had then that I don't have now was, of course, the backing of a huge corporate. There's so much resource. If you can make a business case, the money's there. Mm. Now I run a small business and have done for the last 10 years. You've got to manage your working capital. You've got to have the right people. You've got to do more with less. So I think Mm. about those independent HR professionals who are in a small business. It's a world of difference Mm. when you haven't got the Bank of Siemens behind you and you've got to be creative commercial motivate people that's, in different ways. Well
0: that is true but when you're in a large organization trying to make an impact and change is harder surely you know there has to be quite, there's a lot of influence that's needed there you have to understand very quickly what the needs are of all those individuals um so it's actually it is actually very difficult. Although as you say, you've got the budget and maybe the manpower yeah. behind it to do that. You have got it.
1: to have the passion, I think, and yeah. um be prepared to stand up and be counted and challenge the status quo yeah. fundamentally yeah. um in there and Yeah, and go for it and not maybe not see it as challenges. It's only when I look back on things like that I consider that they might have been a challenge. Mm.
0: So corporate life was something that suited you, do you think? Yeah. I really enjoyed
1: I enjoyed it, actually, until a new manager took over. I didn't realise... I, I realised that freedom's really important to me. Yeah. And I only realised that... In what
0: way do you mean freedom, though? Um
1: The freedom to make a difference and to go and uh, feel empowered to drive things through. Yeah. I realised that the boss I'd had had been a kind of stand-back... Um, Yes, stand back, some not, people might not say. micromanaging. No, he yeah. definitely didn't micromanage. Let's just put it that way. He was good at recruiting people who got things done. Got it. <laughs>
0: <And> <laughs> to make him look good. Well, basically, excellent. yes,
1: and it worked. And so myself, in fact, and Lady Jen Schirler, who, um who is one of our 12 in 12, we, d- we delivered a load of programmes that like we put in performance management. It just put so much stuff in. Mm. But we were given a free reign, as I say, if we could make the business case for it. Mm. I then got taken over, a, a new manager came in, and he just didn't get it didn't get the people stuff, he, I felt undermined, I felt micromanaged, um, and I realised I couldn't stay in that environment. So I was, I kind of also had done it, if you see, I'd been there now 10 years, I felt that I'd outgrown the organisation to a large extent, yeah. um, and it wasn't going to grow further, so there wasn't like a big strategic European role because it had been pulled out of the parent company. Um, I looked at whether or not I might leave and go into London. I also got a real passion for... Um, the NHS, which is a bit of a random story, I won't go into massively, but I have a, a real passion for the NHS. And one day I, I, I would like to get involved in, in supporting it further. We now have customers in the H- NHS, which yeah, um, is always really important to me. yeah. And, I, and so I did look at OD roles in the NHS and I also looked at going into London because where we're based, that was doable. But actually I thought, I think I want to build something. And I had two young kids. Well, as you know, we have kids mm. similar age. Um, and, I, and I thought I want to have the freedom to build something, but also the freedom to work when I want to work. Mm. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. As you know, I'm the primary breadwinner. It wasn't an option not to make money or to stop work. No. So some people thought it was incredibly risky setting up on your own. But I, I didn't really see it that way. I thought, you know, in a job, you're only ever three months away from being made redundant. So I decided I could set up on my own.
0: In some ways, it surely gives you even more drive. I mean, if you're wholly yeah. responsible, really, then yeah. you've got to make it work, yeah. haven't you?
1: And, and, you know, I left with some some money and um, some customers and, yeah. you know, and some contacts. So that set me up and I started out just delivering training while I worked out what it was that I was going to grow. Uh, but I always knew I wanted something which was a recurring revenue. I think having built a business internally, I wanted to build a business for myself externally. Yeah. Um, to try and, you know, make a broader difference. And as I say, I was, I was very keen to work with the NHS.
0: Yeah, okay. So how did that fit then in with your personal life? And you see, we, yes. we've got kids the same age. They were quite young. So your partner was able to take the slack on that. Yeah. And you were able to, so that's sort of, you had the balance there. Yes. But there was quite a lot else going on in your personal life at that time, wasn't it? We knew each other. That's yes. when we really sort of got to know each other. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, it all happened at once, didn't, yeah. didn't it? Moot house, well... Um, so in 2009 when I set up on my own, um, so my background, the reason I have a passion for the NHS is because my family both worked here. My dad was a doctor, my mum was in there, my sister works there and, um, my mum has dementia or had dementia Mm. and had had dementia since she was 57. So she had it a long time. So my dad had been a full-time carer. My dad then died suddenly of a stroke, um, in the April of that year, my sister, it wasn't, it wasn't suitable for my sister to look after my mum. So um, we brought my mum down, thankfully not to live with us, although I did think about that. And I think that would have been the straw that broke the camel's back yeah. and put her in a, a great nursing home around here. So I had to deal with all of that and manage mm. the, the estate and, and obviously grief um, through that period of time. And I suppose, I suppose work in many ways allows you to just get your head into it and distract you. Um, it does, which
0: can be dangerous, yeah. but, but it, it is an important distraction sometimes. Yeah. Well, in a way, essentially, you had to keep going, didn't yes. you? It Wasn't was an the alternative. Only way. Yes. Yeah.
1: There's something when you're losing your parents where you suddenly feel um, really insecure almost like there's no grown-ups to look after you anymore of I found that really scary yeah
0: um there's no form of reference yeah you you still seek your approval of your parents but yeah. however old you are don't you yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah definitely mm. um so that was that was in 2009 obviously since then um my mum then died in 2016 mm. um and uh, built the business through the early days were also really hard because I was trying to balance so then when I decided I was going to build software because I knew about software well no sorry rubbish I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know anything about software but it's all right there are people that work for us that do <laughs> um yes a lot of my
0: friends can't think it's very funny that we have a software business well it is quite bizarre that you've gone from sort of being a trainer to running a software business
1: <laughs> yes and, I, and the reason that it makes sense yeah. is because um it's trying to address some of the pains that i'd experienced as an in-house hr professional mm. so um you know when i was in internal I said 20 odd years ago, we developed an internal performance management system because at the time there wasn't anything we were using paper We were also talking. We were talking about a continuous performance management culture. When I was in Siemens, we embedded that. We talked about monthly one-to-ones. We drove a whole culture change around that. We introduced Mm. pay for performance. Um, All of those things. I know that that's not necessarily trendy now, but continuous performance management. People are talking about as if it's something new. It really isn't. No. And so when I developed the sort of prototype for Actus, I knew what it needed to do, and I knew Mm. the pains that I wanted it to address. Because I'd had those pains. Mm. So actually, it makes sense for me to be running an HR software business because... I felt the pain, So you, I know what so I you to delivered
0: do. the software that you would want to use effectively, exactly, which exactly. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So in that time then, years ago, was that typical for those companies then? Everyone was sort of basically building their own system. I think so. Yeah. yeah.
1: And lots of Excel, lots of SharePoint. Yeah. Yes. And and, and I looked originally whether we could go and white label something. And you, you only had like success factors in, in the States. And this is before it was bought by SAP. So yeah. there was nothing really to do. So I thought, how hard can it be to build software? Mm. And I think you remember, I used to do some really crazy mornings where I'd be up at five o'clock in the morning because we had Indian developers I do talking to them for three hours mm. about the prototype or what, you know, the building of it and then going off and delivering a day's training. Mm. So it
0: is a good job I was younger. It frankly <laughs> impacted on our partying, Lucinda. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that very well. So... In terms of the software business, then, so you've developed this, this software that you would want to use in in a in a company. And, and then outside of that and above that, because you've got the skills of a trainer and as a coach, then you can also see the bigger picture. So you can see, right, here's the piece of software. But outside of that, it's not just a standalone thing. You've got to build a whole program around it and that probably will require change and et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of people stuff around that, isn't there?
1: Yeah, completely. And that's, that's the whole thing, isn't it? Because... It's actually quite a natural story if you think about it. We've mm. just talked about all I've done was I was always involved in change. Yeah. And if you put in a piece of software, it really doesn't matter whether it's our software. Obviously, I'd love you to put our software in. But actually, software is 10 or 20% of the solution. Yes. The behavioral change is 80% of the solution. So we've always wanted to try and help people actually achieve that outcome. as opposed to say, here's some software, off you go. Mm. So we have aligned training courses. A lot of it's about management skills. We've got resources and actually the natural Growth point was the HR uprising, although I had to get the business to a certain point before we could do this, Mm. where we can share and disseminate that knowledge on a broader scale. So we can, more people can get more of the 80% going, whatever systems they're using in their businesses.
0: It feels... A bit like that's the difference with Actus, really. I mean, I, HR is not my world. It's not the world that I know, but certainly IT in that environment. But you've
1: worked in environments where you've had the yeah, cultural of requirements. of course,
0: and very much. And, you know, with IBM, it was very much being an American company. You know, they, they were very forward thinking, and it was very much based around that kind of sort of performance management. And, you know, I was very used to that kind of behavior yeah. in that organization. Yeah. Um, and also fascinated with people, of course. So this, you know, it is really interesting working in this kind of environment. So it feels like Actus is different there because I feel like there's another step up from it's not just the software piece. It is that people piece as well of the puzzle, which is really fascinating to me. Um, So we talked about HR uprising. You... When we started chatting about HR uprising, of course I was highly excited because I love the idea of a new brand. It was over coffee and cake for once it was it rather than over wine. coffee rather than wine, which is quite miraculous. But I love the idea of a new brand, and also I love the idea of brand Lucinda really, and the idea that
1: which makes me cringe, doesn't it? When you say it things makes like that. you
0: absolutely cringe. I know you can't bear it, but I think it's very valid to create this um, to create something sort of. Um, above above what you have already that delivers something to a community where there is a, there is a need. And actually, that's been proven, hasn't it? If you think about the podcast that, that we've built and everything we've built over the last six months, the feedback is very much from that. And from yeah. so many different HR professionals. Yeah. I have loved speaking to all of the different people that I've been in contact with. Um, so diverse.
1: You forget how much... You've actually learned and you've taken on yeah. over like 20 odd years of stuff, because sometimes I think it's really easy just to take it for granted and go, who am I to share anything. But there's loads of people coming in and and there's lots of, again, we all share the same pains, but like with the customers that we work with, I realise that they have their private sector, public sector, it doesn't matter. They've all got similar challenges. Mm. So actually helping people to collaborate and I think where this comes from is it, it's value. So I, going back to fact, I'm a trainer. I did an episode this last week, which is about um, seven habits. that so I used to train on, which I think is an amazing set of principles and stuff. Mm. And I've lucky enough therefore to always been aware of what my values are. And my top value is making a difference, which is an interesting one, but other ones around freedom, achievement, various things like that, security. Um, but making a difference for me, it's often about, and it's about collaborating and sharing with other people. Mm. So, the HR uprising felt like something that we could take it up a notch. So yes, I'm hoping a lot of this stuff will benefit the people we already work with, but it broadens out the remit. And it's also I'm quite passionate about making things a bit bigger than yourself. And I get irritated when you see, oh, HR are criticised for not being strategic enough or for not being this or for not being that. You don't really hear about FDs being criticised for you know being boffins you yeah. don't really hear that kind of thing which is sorry, that was very stereotypical but you know it's was, it was, why why is there so much criticism leveled at, at HR professionals I'm not yeah. really quite sure why yeah uh, and I felt it was time to hope for this uprising this concept although as you know we did come through a number of um iterations were, we well, quite, branding darling quite a lot of brands yes. <laughs> but the, the idea of the uprising was that actually we can all rise up together mm. and and support each other and collaborate and, and share information but I
0: think also it's really important to me the authenticity of the brand and you because i know you so well and i, and I know what you like and i and, and i think and i think for you lucinda as well this is you're incredibly knowledgeable and you know high achiever but you're also humble enough to realize that there are things that you can learn as well and i remember us starting the podcast and you being actually quite terrified of being out there and putting yourself out there
1: I'm coming um, out in a cold sweat thinking about it you actually. are <laughs> i know i
0: remember the first one um, but I think that there is a need. You know, there is a need there. You're right. There is a there's a community there. We've seen that, haven't we? Without it, yeah. And,
1: and what I, the ones I really like doing are the ones we're going. Okay, it's a common sense approach. I'm not saying I'm going to be rocket science. Mm. Um, and but there's a balance between I can look up the research, I've got some experience, and I can also translate it. I suppose when I'm a trainer into you know Practical. how can we use it? Yeah, because I can't bear stuff which is all theoretical mm. and go oh it's great. Let's go and philosophise, but actually. What am I actually going to do tomorrow? Mm. So it's it's massively gratifying. We get quite a few people who are doing their CIPD courses who go, This yeah. is really helpful, you've made me put, put this into practice. So that that I, th- I think is
0: And I and I think for me, what I love is that HR uprising feels like it's for everyone ac- along that journey in their HR career or and and outside of HR. Yeah. And when
1: we launched actually, it, there quite outside. a few people who are non-HR people. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: who, who are going, actually, there's, there's, a number of the episodes do have some
0: broader relevance as well for uh, money management. 100%. Um, what's next then? Yeah, so. A little nap? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we've got, to get our, we've got to get our twelve HRS coming out um, for Christmas. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm working on a book, as yeah. you know, and when I've finished the book. It's in its editing stage, so that it should be out. It'll be out by Practical Inspiration Publishing. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned it earlier: how to be a change superhero, and there'll be a whole load of resources with that, which will be helpful to you know all sorts of people. Change um, in, in support of how you can drive change in your organisation. So that'll be out May, I think, in 2020. So. That's been a project for a bit. And then we're now, um, well, as you know, we've been working, talking to people about what they want to see more of. Mm. I want to carry on building good quality episodes for the HR uprising. So please, anyone listening to this, if you say, can you do a? Can you do an episode on this? Tell us um, if I can find out about it and do it, then I'll do it. Otherwise, we'll get an expert to do it. Um, so I want to keep on doing this up to at least 50 episodes. I think this is,
0: this is the key thing for you, isn't it? I know that you don't want to do podcasts for the sake of doing podcasts no. because it just needs to be Own another doing, element. Carry on doing quality? I agree with you. And I think you've always wanted to deliver something that will be of value to people. Um, so I don't so want to be making
1: up subjects for the sake of it, but if there's something exactly. to do, so I want to do that. Yeah. Um, and then the other areas that we're exploring that we'll perhaps launch early 2020, if, if people are interested, again, do contact us, is but alongside the change agent thing, I'm going to run some training courses for HR. So how to be a change agent. Yeah. So we'll be doing some taster courses early 2020 um, and also looking at maybe masterminding. Mm. And uh, this is something, if you've not heard of masterminding, it's really common in the business community where you get six or 12 people who'd work together over a six six or 12 month t- time period, maybe meeting once a month or collaborating online once a month. And they'd share their challenges. They'd be a coach or a facilitator. And you sort of grow together. Now it's common in the business community. I'm not aware of many of these in the HR community. So I thought we might reach out and, and trial one of those and
0: tested the idea out with a few people. We were talking about this the other day, weren't we? It, I, it fascinates me. I think that that is a logical thing to do, actually, isn't and because,
1: it? And, and looking back at the internal people, you look at the people who are out from an HR point of view, networking. Yeah. Many of them are independent. So it yeah. might have been internal, but many of them are independent. So what's where are all these internal HR people? Mm. Um And how could we bring more value into our corporate organisations if we bring that information in? So that's something that I'm interested in exploring.
0: I I love the sound of that. What about sort of at the other end of the scale? We talked about uh, maybe some mentoring as well. So people who are at the earlier stage of their HR, because quite a lot of those people are listening to those podcasts now. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of knowledge to be gleaned there. I think we you know we've talked about a mentoring programme as well for yes. some of
1: those. Yeah, well I've benefited this year from mentoring. I thought I'd gone you'd go through a while, obviously I'm a coach and you sometimes when you're you've got the skills, um, you know, you're a quali- qualified coach, but actually it doesn't mean you can coach yourself. Yeah. So i have gone for a certain period of time, I think a bit anaerobically, and over the last 12 months. I've, I mean, that's one of the other reasons it brought the podcast through. I had some mentoring from somebody, Nick Bradley, who's the voiceover on here, actually. Yeah. Um, and he said, actually, you've got loads that you could contribute and you want to contribute and, and you've got the knowledge. So why not do the podcast? Mm. So mentoring, I, there are so many knowledgeable HR people out there and we could set up mentoring programs and, yeah. and again, get that collaborating more formalized. Mm. So I have got some ideas with some of the... Um, the the social media areas out there and again shout out to the HR ninjas who are doing a great job in oh yeah that is that's a
0: great Facebook group actually Mm. isn't it they're brilliant really really well subscribed it's very Mm.
1: collaborative it's really well subscribed and I used to think the CIPD LinkedIn group was was great yeah and, and it was great something LinkedIn did have made it disappear to me i can't i don't see it very much now right. but the hr ninjas has got a real life to it mm. and um so if anyone listening isn't aware of hr ninjas on facebook i've definitely um, encourage it's pretty you to sign dynamic up. isn't mm. it actually. really really
0: helpful um we've talked there's been a couple of podcasts recently where we've talked uh about wellness about well-being about you know keep making sure that you're keeping emotionally sort of sane yes. and you're looking after yourself and in fact you the last podcast that you did on your own was around that and well-being and you talked a bit about how you have that balance what how do you manage that you're it's pretty hectic your life isn't it with everything going on how do you make sure that you are looking after uh, yourself
1: well lots of times the reality is I'm probably not yeah <laughs> we talked about it yeah. but um that was like a wake-up call to me I thought I really need to walk the talk again you can know this stuff that's why last episode last week's episode covered Covey I've known this stuff for 20 years doesn't mean I always do it so it's mm. good to take stock um so I'm really trying as you can see this morning when we're having this podcast I'm bothered bedraggled because I dragged myself out in the rain to walk the dogs before I'm otherwise it would not have happened mm. so I'm trying very hard to prioritize things in my life that is not just work mm. so it is really about time management a mm. lot of it it's about delegating um, things um, and being really focused and, and goal setting as to what's important week to week I have to also remember that the reason I'm doing all of this is actually my most important thing at the moment at this stage in my life is my family and my kids yeah and that's why I set up on my own originally to be able to be there for my kids not just physically try and be there mentally. So I do try and prioritise time there as well.
0: Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because this is the irony. You can end up getting so, so caught up in something like this that you've created to enable you to have more time with your yeah. family that you've got less time with them.
1: I try not to work at weekends so much. Now, yeah. I rarely do well. Often they're not up since they're both teenagers now, so mm. you can get quite a few hours done first thing. But, um, yeah, certainly... Just remembering what my priorities are. And I try to do that. And, you know, I've talked a few times about netball. I posted about that. So and yeah. I discovered netball five or six years ago. I'm in my 40s um, and did it back to netball. We now play in the local league. We are not breaking any records, break a few bones and ligaments occasionally. <laughs> um, but I have, I'm have, i part of a tribe of people and it gets me out. It's a team sport. I, I also umpire. And it, it means that it's active relaxation. Mm. So I, it means that I can't think about work while I'm powering I'm off I'm playing netball plus I'm getting exercise plus I'm feeling part of a team mm. so I really encourage anyone you know that's definitely been something there's something worthwhile. about
0: I can't imagine you being someone who could who could meditate I'm and I'm the no, same I, I wish I do could do that? I don't know I wish I could I, I really want. I wish I could learn how to do that this is going to be it then Lucinda this is going to be our challenge but so for me it's moving meditation or some sort yes. of dynamic meditation so it's dancing for me and ballet yeah, yeah and that's really important but I think there's something about competitive sport ideally that is that really sort of takes you out of that existence, and it keeps you away from thinking about all of the churning things to do yeah. that you've got, to, you know, and takes you away from it.
1: You've just got to be in the moment, haven't you? I suppose mm. if you're doing something like that, so mm. that, that is definitely something that's been a real therapy. Yeah. Plus, built, plus you get a kind of fulfilment of the other people that you're friends with. Yeah,
0: well, it's team again, isn't yeah. it? Which is you all over. Mm. So. I'm afraid I've got to do this to you. You know, we set up we, we set up the the 12 in 12 which I absolutely love, by the way. I think it's I'm really excited about about that. Um, and we'll we'll launch that in December. We built up a structure for 12 in 12 and we wanted to sort of have an idea of 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 what you would say to your younger self. So For you, Lucinda, what would you if you went back now to that girl who was under thirty, having to 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 you know be quite high level and um, and influential? What would you be saying to her now?
1: I think it's got to be believing yourself. It's really interesting. I don't do regrets. I I I think I'm too busy kind of thinking forwards. I don't analyse things too much. So actually, I've realised. I apologise to all these people who've asked this question to because I find it quite hard to answer. (laughs) Um, But I, I think I would go. Just believe in yourself. Don't overthink things. Um, I would say maybe think bigger in terms of where you can go, etc. Mm. But make sure that it's on purpose. So know what's important to you. So don't just climb the ladder because that's what you feel you should do. Make sure you uh, you do know what your priorities are. So do something like a Seven Habits or something. So mm. you understand that the ladder you're climbing is where. You actually want to go. You're not going to turn around when you're you and regret just, it.
0: And you keep referring back to that? I do. You, yeah. And, and I,
1: I've always, I always it's, I knew my values. I knew making a difference. The thing when you're training people, you can leave a training session and go, I feel like I'm making a difference. Mm. And actually, frankly, that's one of the things that um, running a software business occasionally, because when you're running a small business, you have to do so many things you're not good at
0: Yeah.
1: Um. that it's easy to lose yourself. So mm. doing the HR uprising has felt much more like I'm on purpose because I can... I feel like I'm adding value to people
0: yeah. personally. Well, and also, you say you've surprised yourself with how much you do know, actually. You're, yeah. you're sort of revisiting quite a lot of stuff. Definitely. Um, okay. I would also say be present, learn how to meditate.
1: That's what I say to my own self learn how to meditate. It's slow be down. One of our goals. It'll be <laughs> uh, our goal. Something like that. But, but um, just, if, I think if you be yourself, mm. um, ignore, uh, be yourself, be nice, be collaborative. Yeah. Um, and I've got to say, these are things I think I, I generally do do and I think I would want to continue doing, be collaborative. Mm. I would, as an internal HR person, have reached out and looked a bit outside of my bubble of the two large organisations.
0: I think Mm. um, that would have been interesting as well. Isn't it funny? There's an irony, isn't it, between ambition and but also being aware, being aware of, of everybody around you. And I think when we're younger as well, there's less of that. Um, and as you yeah. get older, I suppose you've got more wisdom. Of course, there was less social media thinking about it. Of course, oh, it wouldn't have been that easy to point. do. But, yeah, um, that's true, actually. Yeah,
1: but I still think that would have been... I
0: we didn't really talk about networking. No. When we were younger, we were too busy at the pub. We were sort of networking. stop talking about alcohol. So what about your HR, su- HR superpower? Now, this, honestly, this has fascinated me with the things that people have yeah. come back with. What a, I mean, that's quite a tricky thing to think about, but I think it's been quite entertaining. What would you? What yes. would be
1: yours? We've had lots of different answers we, from yeah. people about like, cloning themselves, really understand what's going on. Mm. I mentioned it earlier, and I would banish imposter syndrome. I, I mm. would just, I think so many people um, almost think themselves down, and and it is quite often a female trait in, in terms of that. Yeah. And I, I, nothing against the fabulous HR um, audience of guys, a lot of great um, blokes out there too. But I do, you know, we know that things like, um, interviews, women will look at a list of things and see the things they can't do. Mm. I really would like women to believe in themselves or just banish imposter syndrome and go, I can do this. Mm. Okay, I may not know all the answers, but I can go out to my network and get some of the answers. So mm. I, I would really like um, almost just people to feel like a superhero, that they can do they can do what they believe in yeah. and not undermine ourselves from whatever it is that makes us do it.
0: Yeah. that's. I mean, that's a fascinating one, isn't mm. it? Perhaps we've talked about that so many times. Okay. So... We've now, we're in the social media world now, Lucinda, which is quite a thing for you, isn't it? Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, and I of know these lots things.
1: about Instagram, don't I, Should we just fess up yes. here? That if you talk to me on Instagram, it's probably Sean, because I'm not quite, I've got LinkedIn, I've got Twitter, I've got Facebook, but Instagram's still a bit of a mystery to me.
0: Do you know, I what I'd say though is, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we? Twitter is so dynamic, isn't mm. it? And I think you try and be on there as much as possible. And that makes brilliant connections. And yeah. you can have immediate conversations with people, can't you? Yeah. LinkedIn, you also do share quite a lot of stuff. And of course, we've got our LinkedIn group as well. So yes. We, we've got a lovely growing following on yeah. there. Um, what's the best way for people to contact you, though? Do you I'd think? say
1: probably um, to contact me think LinkedIn mm. is, well, contact me directly. Obviously, the details are there. You can email me, although i, I yeah, emailing your call or whatever. But LinkedIn, I think, is a great way to be connected in terms of understanding my network. And, and content's there more longer term. And I'll sort mm. of put longer stuff out there and have conversations there. Um, Twitter is more of an interaction place. Yeah, so I, it's it's either dynamic. LinkedIn or Twitter, mm. I, I think. because um, I think Twitter is very authentic mm. I mean, and well i've learned that i think when we started out it was like oh twitter do you just put stuff out there mm. so it's me on twitter um mm. and is more of the, the team yeah um so I, I you know talk to me on twitter
0: i LinkedIn. think what i see with twitter there is you know there's the real authenticity there i think it is the it's the absolute conversation yeah. at, at that time isn't it yeah. and um, and i really like it that is a good way actually to contact you but yeah, talk to my really, kids through
1: instagram maybe I just I just try to shame
0: them through Instagram they say they've been unfollowed, I think, by much of Your influence. son is really impressed with Instagram, so I'm quite pleased with myself. <laughs> yeah. So that's it's fine. Pretty. Yeah, well. Yes. Done. <laughs> okay, so um I think that I think that you're free to go. Oh, marvellous! I think you're free to go. I think that we, yeah, we're done right. and dusted. I think, yeah. We're well, thank you. But... That wasn't too painful, Sean. <laughs> I hope I was gentle on you. I really enjoyed chatting to you. Quite Anyone thing.
1: who wants to link in with Sean as well, so Sean manages lots of our, our future productions, our future topics, and also where we're going with the brand. So um, your details are on the show notes, Sean, as well, aren't they? Yes. Um, and and do yeah, follow us on all our social media and get in touch. So uh, thanks to everybody who's been listening. Uh, Just to introduce next week and what's going on, just to talk you through what's going on, I guess. So as we mentioned, over the next four weeks, over the Christmas period, we're going into our 12 in 12. So there's 12 HR professionals with really diverse backgrounds and be asking them a series of questions. Really simple ones, just a bit about their background, challenges they've overcome, advice their former self, magic. um, If they had a magic wand or a superpower, what would it be? So we talk to three different people on each episode Nice, easy listening, great people to to link in with, but really regular, normal people, mm. um, which which was important. Then uh, the first episode of January is going to be our best bits episode. So we've been taking some surveys about what the best bits were of the various um, episodes that we've had over the last six months. So we'll do a compilation show in the new year because that seems fitting. And then after that, what we'll be rolling back into is obviously an alternation, if possible, of, um, sort of specific deep dives into certain topics alongside some new conversation with series. And the conversation with series we're going to expand next year to also look at um, business, the broader business piece. So we're going to do things like talking with CEOs about what value they get from HR. So, uh, so essentially, what do I want from HR? Talking to business leaders. Because again, this whole sort of story that's out there that maybe it's even a myth, you know, HR aren't doing what the business wants. It's. It, I thought it'd be great for us to hear from business people as to what value HR Absolutely. can bring. So I think that will be quite interesting. Mm. So we'll be running some good interviews next year on that as well, some good mm. conversations. So it's finally, all that um, I would like to say is enjoy December, look after your well-being. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. And please do share the word in terms of the HR uprising. If you're enjoying what we're doing, Um, It'd be great to share it with your colleagues and friends and do suggest what else you'd like to hear us cover. Bye. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.